Hey, well, good morning. Good, good to see you. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, had quite the week this week. Came back, and you know how it is. You're all jet lagged. Then I got sick uh, this week, and so uh, I'm all drugged up today. Uh, t- I took uh, five hour energy right before I got up here. So I, I just want to say that I'm not responsible for anything I'm saying today. I'm half on drugs and half spiked, you know. So uh, anyway, but it is great to be back, and it's been fun to see many of you. And you followed along the blog. You saw my new dance moves I lived in. I'll be teaching that, uh, teaching classes in that pretty soon here uh, as I speak, but uh, it's great to be back. Had a fantastic trip, did everything I hoped it would do, both for me personally and more importantly to kind of prepare us as a church this year as we're taking a couple trips to Israel, and uh, really, really excited about that. So, uh, and then uh, next, like, wasn't Patrick awesome? It was just like, I I can't, I love what God is doing in kids' ministry here in all of our family ministries, and we really are. This last year, behind the scenes, we haven't talked about it, but behind the scenes, we're going back to basics and saying, hey, our goal is to raise a, a generation of passionate Christ followers from the time they're at zero, you know, brand new babies uh, to the time of college. And so uh, what do we do as a church to come alongside, create environments and experiences, uh, teaching and so on that will help them kind of shape a whole generation. So I'm glad you got kind of a little insight uh, into that. Now, a couple things before we go into a time of teaching. First of all, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're brand new, I want to welcome you. But uh, this week, on Friday, I sent out an all-church uh, email, and hopefully you got that. Uh, if you didn't get it, it means you're not on our mailing list, and you might say, well, I'm a regular here. Why wouldn't I get it? Well, probably because sometime in the past, you p- clicked unsubscribe at the bottom of your, you know, your thing, and uh, it's just the way the whole system works. When you unsubscribe, unsubscribe to any email, it unsubscribes you, unsubscribes you to all emails. And so um, if, you, if you're not getting those, just kind of write us a note on your uh, Connect card today. We'll add you to the list. But in that, um, that uh, email, a couple things I talked about that are really important. Uh, this last, uh, what, about 15 months, we've been in this initiative we call the assignment, and part of the assignment uh, is to enlarge and refresh our campus, and we've been working on that this last uh, year, getting prepared for some major steps, and not next weekend, but the following weekend, we're taking the next huge step. We're going to be moving out of this auditorium for the next six months and into the smaller student center, and so uh, so in, uh, in two weeks, when you come, not next weekend, but two weeks, we won't be meeting here. If you come in here, you'll be by yourself. Um, So we will be over in the student center. Uh, On Sunday mornings, we'll also have a video venue that's in the summit room. We'll be talking about this more next week, but just want to get you uh, equipped for that, kind of prepared for that. Uh, It's a very exciting time in our our church season, and in preparation for that next weekend, I'll be giving a special message here uh, in this uh, this place uh, on the book of Nehemiah and what to expect during times of transition and change and new seasons. And so it'd be a very important time. We'll likely have communion. We may do some more writing on the walls. It's just a time to kind of wrap up what God's doing here, prepare us for that season. So next weekend, it'll be very important for you here. I encourage you to, to be here. If you have to be out of town or something, be sure to podcast it, videocast it, uh, watch the video uh, uh, on our website, uh, because it'll be a very important message to prepare us for this next season of about six months, we're, we're, we're guessing. Now, uh, to prepare for that move, uh, this week we are doing a special 24 hours of prayer and encounter service. And so on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to launch a 24 hours of prayer over in the Summit building, which is the, the building kind of the far end of our parking lot, the first one. 
Uh, and, and we're going to be on the hour and every hour uh, launching a time of kind of prayer, worship, directed prayer and worship. And then uh, on, on alternating hours, we'll be doing a prayer walk over our campus. And so we'll have a video at the end of the, the service today, kind of give you a feel for how that works. But I want to encourage you to come out and pray for us over this, this move, the change, this new season that God's leading us into as a church. And then on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we'll be gathering here for an encounter service. And if you've never been to an encounter, it's a time of concentrated worship, uh, prayer as a whole church. This one will have about a five or 10 minute kind of very brief congregational meeting where we'll take a quick vote on our uh, elders and our budget. I'll share a little bit of vision for this year as kind of some new things we're heading into. You should have received that with that email, the budget and, uh, and the elder slate of candidates. And so if you didn't receive that for some reason, out on the patio, you can receive a hard copy of that today at the point. And if you have any questions about any of that budget, elders, or whatever, you can uh, stop by room 101 immediately after this service or the next service, uh, and we'll have some elders and our director of finance there uh, to answer any questions that you might, might have about that, right? So, uh, so that's stuff coming up. So the next couple weeks, big time uh, weeks here at Rocky Peak, exciting times, and we're looking forward to that. So uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and uh, inside your program is a message note sheet. So if you're brand new and you're the first time here, you, you may not know that, you want to take it out. It's a green and white sheet, and uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. And God, we're just excited to be here, and uh, thankful for what you're doing as a church, and thankful that we get to be a part of it. This time, this place, this space where you are moving in such profound ways in so many different ways across our campus, across our age groups, awakening us, calling us on to pursue you as, as truly passionate Christ followers, transforming our lives, making us a light to others around us that others can come to Christ, experience the new life that you have for them. And Lord, today as we continue this, this series in the Gospel of Mark, we pray that you would just speak in a powerful voice. We pray that you'd speak to us individually by name, that by the time we leave here, go out of here, we would each have been spoken to. We would know the next step in our journey is. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing a series that we've been in now for the last about three or four weeks called uh, Jesus the Crucified King. And for those of you who are brand new, this is actually the third part of a longer trilogy of series that's uh, on the life and teaching of Jesus as is uh, seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Mark. He writes an account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on the teaching of, uh, of the apostle Peter, who's a close friend of his. And so uh, we, we've been going through his story, and so if you've been here the last uh, uh, three or four weeks, we've seen as Jesus is now entering into the last week of his life. And if you're here at the very first week of the series, a couple weeks ago when I started, we watched on that Sunday, that Sunday, the last, day of his, uh, last week of his life, it's Passover week. And we watch as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, riding down the Mount of Olives. It's right there to the east of Jerusalem. He's riding down on a colt of a donkey in fulfillment of the ancient prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 9, that one day the great king, the Messiah, would come riding to you on the colt of a donkey. And so with each passing day he's in Jerusalem, Jesus is beginning to lay down his carts. Up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been very secret about who he is and why he's come. But now for the first time, he's beginning to become more bold, more open. The time has come for him to reveal his true identity. 
And so he's beginning each day to lay out another card. And so on that Sunday, he lays down this card of riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and the fulfillment of the prophecy. On Monday, the next day, he goes into the temple courts, this huge, massive 35-acre uh, uh, kind of acre complex. So I was just there last weekend. And so he, he, as he comes in, he uh, cleanses the temple. He overturns the tables of the vendors, the money changers, in fulfillment of a prophecy from Malachi chapter 3 that one day Yahweh would come back to the nation. Yahweh would cleanse the nation. He would come and meet his people at the temple. And so with each passing day, Jesus is laying down another card. And it's like I said last time I was with you, that it's like on Sunday he lights the fuse that's gonna burn all week long until it's gonna explode on Thursday night when he is arrested and he is taken into custody and then executed for his claim of being the king of the Jews. And so today, it's still early in the week. Today, it's, uh, it's Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, probably Tuesday. Uh, he's, he's just, yesterday, he's got into the temple, cleansed the temple. He's, he's initiated this confrontation with the religious leaders of the nation, the political leaders. He's challenged their authority. And what's going to happen now in the next couple of days is they're going to send a series of delegations to him while he's teaching at the temple. Remember, every day, every day he's coming in the morning from Bethany, just two miles outside town, and every day he's coming in the temple, the huge temple complex. He's teaching the people, uh, and then at nighttime he goes out to Bethany with his disciples. Remember, sort of Mary, Lazarus, uh, uh, Martha live, probably staying there. Uh, and so every morning he's coming and teaching. Every day he's going back. And so during these next couple of days, these religious leaders, the political leaders that he's challenging, they're going to send him a series of delegations. So the top leading officials of Israel, it's called the Sanhedrin. It's made up of 71 members, the high priests, chief priests, certain Pharisees, certain Sadducee, leaders of the nation. And what they're doing is they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to get him to say or do something that will either discredit him with the crowds or allow them to bring him up on charges with the Roman officials, which is exactly what's going to happen at the end of the week. At the end of the week, he's going to be brought up on charges for claiming to be a king. And so what's going to happen, we're going to see in this last week of his life, the next uh, several weeks of this series, we're going to see five or six encounters where the Sanhedrin is going to send delegations of different kinds of people, uh, chief priests, Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees. And I want you to picture this like a large press conference. And this press conference, uh, these, these leaders are coming and they're, throwing, they're like a reporter who's trying to throw up an explosive question to a political candidate, hoping that he says something or does something that will cause him to lose credibility or allow him to be brought up in charges. And what we're going to see is they're going to be putting their best, the best minds in Israel, the best minds of the best political minds are going to be behind closed doors. They're going to have whiteboards out. They'll be saying, what can we ask him that will really screw him up? What, what can we ask him? And, and behind closed doors, the best political minds are going to be saying, what, can we, what, can we, what, can, what question can we throw at him that's going to zing him, that's going to cause him to step in it? And what we're going to see is that Jesus is brilliant. One of the things I love about Jesus, we often think of him as wise we think of him as loving. We think of him uh, as uh, uh, caring. Often we forget that he's brilliant. 
And what we're going to see is these best political minds of the day behind closed door, probably spending hours and hours discussing what can we ask him to get hit. That every time, the moment they ask him on the spot, he's going to spin it and turn it on them and put them down and reveal them for who they are. And so today we're going to see the very first encounter. And the encounter has to do with a question of authority. Jesus has come in. He's making some huge claims. He's riding in on the donkey. He's going in challenging the political and religious authority in the the temple that they're over. He's making huge claims about who he is. And And their question is, who gives you the right to do that? And today it's going to lead to some great teaching on who Jesus is, who we are, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus who comes under his authority. And so if you have your Bibles there, let's turn to, uh, to Mark chapter 11. And there on your note sheet is a section called uh, question number one, authority. And so we're going to pick it up at, in Mark chapter 11, and I think it's about verse 27, but I'll tell you in just a minute. Yeah, 27. All right. Okay, so here, here we go. So, uh, so they, they arrived again in Jerusalem. So remember, uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday rides into town. Monday uh, overturns vendors, challenges the authority. Now it's probably Tuesday. They're coming in in the morning like they're doing every day. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, and again, picture this, 35 acres. I was there last week. So now there's the Dome of the Rock there and this huge mosque there, this huge uh, complex. Uh, Jesus comes in. He's uh, walking in the temple courts, and the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders, three of the key groups that make up the Sanhedrin, uh, they, they are coming to him. They said, by what authority are you doing these things? So who gives you the right to say and do what you've been saying and doing? Uh, you're acting like you own the place. Who do you think you are? And uh, who gave you authority to do this? And so uh, Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you one question. Now, here's the thing. Jesus does not want to engage at this level. On Thursday night when he's arrested, he will be asked by the high priest, tell us, are you the son of the blessed? Are you claiming to be the Messiah? And he will say yes. That will lead to his arrest and death. He does not want to give that answer today. It's not time yet. And so, so today he's going to sidestep the issue, but in a very creative way that's going to answer their question, but expose them at the same time. And so, so the question is, uh, who gave you the authority? And what Jesus is going to say is, he says, hey, let me ask you a question. Now, this is how rabbis would often debate issues. This was very commonplace. And here's what Jesus said, hey, I'll tell you what, you're asking me a question, let me ask you a question. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. What do you say? And they go, oh, okay, we're good to go, right? And so they're going to ask him a question about his authority. He says, let me ask you a question about John the Baptist's authority. On the surface, this may seem a little bit like, whoa, what's he asking? But as we unpack, you'll see it makes perfect sense. And so verse 29, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. You want to play this game? Let's go. They said, okay, game's on. So he says, John's baptism, was it from heaven? In other words, did did John come from God? uh, Or was it from men? Tell me. 
So basically, Jesus says, you're asking a question about my authority, where my authority came from. I have a question for you. What about John the Baptist? Where did his authority come from? Was he sent from God, or was he just kind of acting on his own? Now, to understand this, we have to go back in time. We have to go back to the very, like the second week of this series. If you, if, you, if you kind of rewind the clock about a year, you go back to January a year ago, the very second week of the series, we saw that when, when Mark starts his story of Jesus, he doesn't start with the story of Jesus. He starts with the story of John the Baptist. Remember that? And, and what, what Mark says is that in the Old Testament, God had prophesied in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, that one day Yahweh was going to return to the nation, that one day Yahweh was going to come and rescue them from their sin. One day, Yahweh's going to rescue from their oppressors. And it says, before that day comes, before the kingdom of God comes, in Isaiah 40, there's predicted that God would send a messenger to prepare the nation for the coming of Yahweh. And Mark says, that messenger was John the Baptist. And if you remember, if you were here there, you remember when John came out in the wilderness, he called the nation to repentance. He said, God is coming, you need to get ready. In fact, Messiah is coming. In fact, he identified Jesus. He said, this man right here, he said, I was baptizing him. And as I baptized him, uh, the heavens opened up. I saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove. And God spoke from heaven saying, this is my son. I'm with well pleased. And so God identified him as the Messiah. And so John called the nation. If you want to get in on what God's doing, if you want to be part of the kingdom, you need to repent. You need to come under his leadership. You need to follow this man. Now, here's the rub. The people of Israel, by and large, loved John. They believed he was a prophet sent by God. They believed he was speaking with God's authority. But catch this, the religious leaders didn't. And so here we have in Jerusalem, the religious leaders come, press conference time. Hey, Jesus, I have a question. Uh, Can you just answer this? Uh, uh, your authority, like who gave you authority to do what you're doing? Jesus says, okay, well, let me ask you a question, and then if you answer my question, answer your question, okay. Uh, John's baptism, who gave John the authority to do what he wants to do? Now remember, their whole goal is to discredit Jesus. Their whole goal is to, to, to ask him something that will cause Jesus to lose popularity with the crowds and for their popularity to go up. They're trying to make a fool out of Jesus. Jesus has just spun it because the last thing that they, that they want to say is we didn't buy into John the Baptist because that will discredit them with the crowd. So you see what he's done? He's spun it on them. Okay, so, hey, we're going to ask you a question about authority. Oh, awesome. Happy to answer it. Why don't you answer my question about authority, then I'll answer yours. Okay. And so Jesus throws it out there. And all of a sudden they realize, uh-oh. <laughs> and this is hilarious. This is hilarious because they don't know what to say. They realize he's up over a barrel, right? Because if they say that it was from God, he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? What's wrong with you? You're not men under God's authority. You're not willing to listen to God. What kind of leaders are you? But if they say he wasn't from God, all the people are going to hate us. Right? And so they go, uh, can we have five minutes? <laughs> sure, take your time. <laughs> what do we say? I don't know. Yakim, come on, it's your question. 
you said this would work. I'm telling you, Noah, come on. You know? And so, uh, so that's exactly what happens. And so they, they come back, and, and, and so in verse 31, it says they discussed it among themselves. Uh, can we have five here? We'll be back. Oh, sure, take your time, guys. Uh, and so he said, hey, if we say it's from heaven, in other words, it's from God, he'll ask them, why didn't you believe him? What's wrong with you? Why didn't you submit to God's leadership in your life? Why didn't you come under God's authority? He says, but if we say from men, and then Mark says, oh, they feared the people. For everyone held that John was a prophet. We can't say that. And so they come back, and here's what I want you to get. The brightest and best of Israel, who spent days <laughs> trying to figure out what do we ask him that will get him into trouble. They come back, and they go, uh, we don't know. <laughs> and so they answer Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, hey, well, that was the deal, you know. So neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. You know, we had a deal, right? Right? And I just made you all look like idiots, but we still have a deal. So, so, so here's what's going on. There's a confrontation. The issue is authority. And this raises a, a tremendous issue for us today as Christ followers, what it means to be a Christ follower. I want to spend some time unpacking it. There on your note sheet, there's a, a section that's called Jesus and Authority, Two Core Concepts. I want to start by laying out two core concepts that may seem kind of basic in a way as we go, especially the first one, uh, but are extremely foundational for where we're going today. And then I want to come back and I want to ask two uh, critical questions uh, for our lives as we apply it to our lives. So let's jump in. The first, the first uh, principle goes like this. The first thing I want you to catch from this story is that Jesus speaks with God's authority. This is a big takeaway. The question the religious leaders are asking Jesus is who gives you the right to say and do what you are doing. You're acting like you're a big shot. You're riding the donkey in like you're the king. You're, you're going into the temple as if you own the place. Who gives you the right? Who gives you the authority? Who are you claiming to be? And in essence, what Jesus is saying is I'm claiming to do and be what I've always claimed to be. If, if you are opening up the Gospel of John, and, and we'll do this later on, but if you're opening up the Gospel of John, the constant claim that Jesus made is my teaching is not my own. His constant claim is I am not doing what I'm doing, like healing on the Sabbath. I'm not doing that on my own. What the Father shows me, I do. So, so Jesus was constantly claiming that he was a man under authority, that he was saying and what he was doing was only because God was sent him to say and do that. He was speaking with God's authority. So here's what I want you to catch. What Jesus constantly was saying is to reject me and my teaching is to reject God and his teaching, all right? And so this issue of authority has been with Jesus from day one. I want you to take you back to the opening days of this series. If we were to go back again, about a year ago, the first time Mark really introduces Jesus to us, right after his baptism, uh, it's in chapter one, and Jesus is teaching at a synagogue on a Saturday in Capernaum. And right in the middle of his teaching, a demoniac stands up and challenges Jesus. We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Why have you come? You've come to destroy us. We know, we know what you're up to. And Jesus silences him commands the demon to come out of him, the man is uh, miraculously set free. And, and after teaching and after that demonstration of power, I want you to catch what Mark says that very first day of the ministry. 
uh, Mark 127, it's there in your note sheet, is the people were so amazed and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with what? Authority. I want you to circle that. From day one, this has been an issue. Who is Jesus? Why does he speak with such authority? And what I want you to catch is from day one, people sensed it. When Jesus taught, he taught like no other. I think of Matthew chapter five through seven, which is the first major teaching in the gospel of Matthew. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of that, Matthew says the crowds were amazed because Jesus taught not like the scribes and the Pharisees, but he taught with authority. From day one, people sensed it. And he had the authority not only in what he said, but what he did. We get to Matthew, uh, Mark chapter two. You, you kind of go back in time. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is teaching at a house in Capernaum. I was there last week in Capernaum. So he's there in Capernaum, and, uh, in the, in, and he's, the house is packed. And so there's four friends, and they've got a buddy of theirs who's paralyzed. They want to get him to Jesus. They think that if we can just get him to Jesus, I know that Jesus will heal him. The place is packed, so they go up the stairs on the outside of the house. They go on the flat-top roofs like they had. They dig a hole in the roof. They let the guy down. Jesus looks up, you know, new skylights appearing. He, just, he, he loves us. He loves their faith, loves their boldness. And I don't know if you remember what he said, but he looks at this man that's being laid down, and he doesn't re- respond to the, the healing. He says, he said, my son, your, do you remember, anyone remember? Yeah. Your sins are forgiven. And as he, as he says this, the religious leaders in the room, man, uh, the, the hair on the back of their neck is standing up. Because there's certain things that only God can do axiomatically, like only God can give life. Only God has the right to judge our lives. And only God has the right to forgive our sins. Those are three things that only God can do. And Jesus claimed to do all three. And in this situation, they're, they're, going, they're freaking out because he's, he's saying your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus knows what they're thinking. He says, hey, listen, I know what you're thinking. You're questioning, do I have the right, the authority to do that? He says, uh, but let me, let me just go ahead and heal this guy to show you that I do. So here's what I want you to catch. Jesus' miracles were God's signature on his life that he has the authority to say and do what he was doing. And so look what it says in chapter 2, Mark 2, it says, but that you may know the Son of Man, remember that's his favorite name for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. You know I have the right to do this. He says, I I say to you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And so this issue of authority has been with Jesus from day one. Who is this man? And here's what I want you to catch. The crowds were quick to pick up on it. From day one, the religious leaders weren't. For example, back in chapter three of Mark, we saw that very early on in chapter three, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, these same leaders we're studying today, three years before or two and a half years before, had sent a delegation north to Galilee to check out Jesus and where he's getting this authority over evil spirits. And from day one, they were against him. In spite of the authority of his teaching, in spite of the miracles backing it up, they were against it. And so the question comes up, why could the people see it so obviously? 
Why could the people see that John the Baptist was a prophet? So obviously, why could the people see that Jesus had such innate authority, whether it's in his teaching or his action? Why could the people see it and these religious leaders three years later after hundreds of miracles... After incredible teaching, why could the people see it and the leaders can't see it? And it leads to our second principle. And the principle goes like this. And this is pretty profound. It's just the principle that we see what we are willing to see. In the spiritual life, one of the most important principles for us to understand as followers of Jesus, and we'll be taking a lot of time to flesh this out today, both in their lives and our lives, is that one of the most important principles you understand for your good is that we see what we're willing to see. The question is, why couldn't the religious leaders see what the people saw the first day? Why couldn't they see that? And the answer is because they didn't want to see it. And I want to take you back in time because here's the political situation in Israel. The, the political situation, remember the religious political situation, when you're reading New Testament, this time it's like religious, religion and politics are totally intertwined. And, and when you're reading this situation, the spiritual leaders of Israel, the political leaders of Israel, the same people, they, they have worked out this tenuous agreement with the Romans. They, they don't like being under Roman rule. But they've worked out, the leaders have worked out this agreement with Rome. And Rome basically comes in and says, we will let you run your nation. We will let you be the big shots. We'll let you run the temple. We'll let you run your religion. We'll, we'll, let, you, uh, we'll, we'll let you kind of be the flowing robes. We'll let you have the high positions of power. We'll let you have the, 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 the politics, the perks, uh, the possession. We'll, we'll let you kind of be in charge as long as you keep the nation under control. As long as they're paying their taxes, they're not revolting or whatever, we'll let you have authority over the nation. And catch this, their big fear of Jesus was that the population would buy into Jesus, it would lead to a military revolt that would call Rome in to crush that revolt and to change the status quo and they would lose their authority. That's their big fear. And so here's what I want you to catch. They didn't want to see Jesus' authority because to see Jesus' authority meant they would lose their own authority. Are you with me in this? So they couldn't see it because they didn't want to see it. And this leads, again, to one of the most important spiritual principles of our lives, our spiritual life. We see what we're willing to see. And I want to, Jesus taught on this principle earlier uh, in, in his life. In John chapter 7, Jesus was in Jerusalem a time prior to this, and, and there were some people that were really starting to buy into Jesus. And, and they were having a hard time, though, because, I mean, if I were there, I don't know if I would have bought into Jesus, because everything you've been taught your whole life, uh, everything that you've read in your Bible, like, it's not really, like, lining up as you expected it. Like, Jesus was a very different Messiah. And so people were struggling. They, on the one hand, they saw the authority of his teaching. They saw his miracles. On the other hand, it's like it's everything against what they've been taught. He seems to be breaking the religious rules. He doesn't seem to be taking out Rome. It's just, it's just, it's a hard thing. And, and so, uh, and so they're struggling with this. And Jesus understands that. And so Jesus says something very profound. There in your note sheet in John chapter seven. Jesus says he answers them and he says. He says, my teaching 
is not mine, but it's his who sent me. And so this is what I was telling you earlier. Jesus will always say, he said, I'm not teaching on my own. My teaching's not my own. What I'm doing is not for my own. I'm a man under authority. I'm doing what God has told me to say, what he's told me to do. Uh, I'm speaking with his authority. That's what I'm talking about. He says, my teaching's not my own. It's his who sent me. And then catch it. Here we go. If any man is what? Willing, Willing to do his what? Willing. Okay, let's say it together. If any man is what? Willing to do his will. I want you to underline that, circle that critical. If any person is willing to do his will, I put this in the New American Standard because it's a very kind of literal translation, and I love the way they, they translate this very accurately. If any man's willing to do his will, then catch this, he will know of the teaching, like my teaching, whether it's from God or whether I speak for myself. He says, you're trying to figure out where my authority comes from. You're trying to figure out whether this teaching is a little different than you expected. You're trying to figure, is it from God or not? He says, the key to your discernment is not intellectual. It is moral and spiritual. So your, your ability to discern truth is not intellectual. It's, it's, it's moral. It's spiritual. It has to do with the condition of your heart. He says, if any man is willing to do my will then he will have discernment and he will be able to, are, are you with me in this? This is a critically important spiritual principle that our ability to see what God is saying to us is tied to our willingness to be able to see it. Now we know this in life, right? We, like we, we've, all known, we've all known people that like, uh, like, like parents, and we were talking about this week as we're working on our life group homework as a team and thinking about the sermon. We get together and we talk about the, you know, kind of, kind of how can we take this? And we, develop, we were talking about this. And we were, many of the people on that team have had experience in youth ministry. How many of us have known parents that they have a bad kid and they're not willing to see it? Right? Like, you got three DWIs, you bail them out twice. But he's such a good boy. He's got a great heart. Everyone else says, no, he doesn't. He's a loser, right? Your kid is a bad kid. Like whatever else is going on, he's, he's not a good kid with a good heart. Like everyone else can see it, but the parents are, oh, no, but he's such a good. Like they see what they're willing to see. Right? How, how many of us have talked to a person? And it's like you're like, man, it seems like you're angry. I'm not angry. And <laughs> Like, how many of you have ever talked to someone, they're just the, the biggest narcissist in the world, and they can't figure out why their marriage isn't working? And you're talking to them, all well, my wife, my wife, my wife. And you're looking like, are you blind? Yeah. <laughs> right? We see what we're willing to see. Okay, so that leads to a couple questions for our life. There you go, she has section, the authority of Jesus to core questions. And so here we go. So, so here are the questions for us. And, and, and what I want to do is just kind of probe in. Now we've laid the groundwork and talk about for us as Christ's followers, what does it look like to be under Jesus' authority and to see, what does it mean to, to see what we're willing to see and how that works out in our life? And so here we go. Number one, first question is, who is your ultimate authority? Like in your life, in your life, uh, 
Who is your ultimate authority? Like, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you do what you do? Who is your ultimate authority? Now, here's what I want to suggest today. It is really easy to deceive ourselves, even as Christ's followers. Uh, It's often easy to think, well, Jesus is my ultimate authority. The word of God is my ultimate authority, when reality, it isn't. And I want to paint this from their lives. You look at these religious leaders. Uh, If you were to ask them, uh, who is your ultimate authority? I can guarantee you that they would have said, well, God is our ultimate authority. I can guarantee you they would have said, the word of God is our ultimate authority. They would have said, the law of Moses is our ultimate authority. That's what they would have said. And yet the reality was that they were deceived. Because God had sent John the Baptist and Jesus speaking for him, and they weren't willing to submit. You see? So, so they, they thought they were under authority when they really weren't. And what I want to suggest is that we all do this, that as followers of we can claim to be followers of Jesus, we can claim that he's our ultimate authority, that the word of God is our ultimate authority, and yet be deceiving ourselves. And here's what I want you to catch. When we do that, the stakes are high. Because remember, we're going to talk about this later, but remember what Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. And so when we're not under the authority of Jesus, when we're not willing to see what he's showing us, we're robbing ourselves of the truth, and we're losing our freedom. You know, that, 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 that guy who's a narcissist, it's always his wife, it's not him. As long as he holds to that, His marriage is never going to get healed. His kids are going to grow up and hate him. His life is going to fall apart. You know, the parents, the parents whose whose kid is a bad kid, and they're not willing to deal with it. There's a real issue here. Stop blaming the youth department. Stop blaming the high school teachers. Stop blaming his friends. You've got a problem. You need to jump in. We need to face that. Like, your your kid's never going to get better while you're pretending that the problem is not your kid, right? And so, so here's the reality, is that, that Jesus came to give us freedom, and until we're really embrace the truth that he's bringing to us, we're gonna stay in bondage. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna throw out to you real quickly, I wanna throw out to you, you say, who, who's your authority you say Jesus is? If you're a Christ follower, uh, you probably say, well, Jesus is my authority. The words, okay, so I wanna ask you three questions, and I wanna push you on that. And the whole, the whole reason I'm pushing this is not so much about these issues, but just to get us back to the core issue, who's your ultimate authority? I think these, these will push some buttons in you that help you to think it through, help you emotionally to kind of come into the orbit of what I'm talking about. I'm not because these are the three most important issues. But let me, let, me, sorry, let me give you three questions that our culture today is pressing upon us. Okay? Three, three issues today that our culture is giving us one message, and the question is, well, who's your ultimate authority? Your ultimate authority, our culture, or is it Jesus? Okay? So, so first question. First question is about the next life. Okay? So if you're here at Rocky Peak all the time, we know we talk about this all the time. Jesus talked about the next life all the time. He said this life is all about the next life right? Next life is real. It's physical and tangible. Only a fool would live his life for this life. This life's short. Next life's long. So you want to live this life for the next life. Right? We talk about that a lot. But when we talk about the next life, Jesus just didn't talk about the positives, which you think of, of heaven as restored heavens and earth. 
He talked about the negative. What's the negative? Hell. So here's the question. What do you believe about heaven and hell? Again, just an illustration here of who's your authority. Like, so what I'm saying is in our culture today, we pretty much bought in completely to Jesus teaching about heaven. That's where we got our belief about heaven. Like, when you go to a funeral today, you never have, you almost always, you have someone, it doesn't matter who the guy is or what he's done, it's like, what are people going to say? Well, at least he's in what? A better place, right? Doesn't matter what he did, who he murdered, who he killed, how long he's in the mafia, at least he's in a better place. No one goes, too bad for Frank, sure he's in hell. <laughs> Man, I'm sure you, if anyone deserves it, it was Frank, I'm telling you. He was just like, that like, oh boy, but it's hot down there. Uh, no one's saying that, right? And so our culture is pressing in on us. Our culture is saying, hey, this is the truth about the next life. It's cool for everyone. Now the question is, what do you think about that? And, how, and how do you decide what you think about that? Who is your ultimate? See, so for the religious leaders, they were their own ultimate authority. And so many times as Christ followers, we pick and choose what we believe. Hey, we'll follow Jesus in the area of our marriage, but not in the area of money. We'll follow Jesus in the area of service, but not our sexuality. We'll pick and choose. And that's what the religious leaders were doing. They were picking and choosing from the Bible and thinking they're under God's authority. We really weren't. Let me give a second question. What do you believe about sexuality? Our culture today is constantly giving us a message. It's in every TV show. It's in every movie, uh, almost without, you know, maybe animation, not but uh, it's only that, that all sex is good sex. That's basically the message. That as long, as long as it's between consulting adults, two or more, <laughs> and everyone's having a good time, and everyone's happy, and everyone's okay with this, as, as long as that, then, then all sex is good sex. And it doesn't really matter if it's before you're marrying or while you're married, or with how many people when you're married, or whether it's same sex or opposite sex, doesn't really matter, long as two or more consenting adults and everyone's happy, all sex is good sex. Well, the question is, what do you believe about sexuality, and how do you decide what you believe? Third question. What do you believe about the path to God and salvation? Our, our, our culture is pressing in us. Increasingly, we're becoming what we call a pluralistic culture. So one of the core beliefs of our culture is that all paths lead to the same place. So it doesn't really matter whether you're a follower of Muhammad or you're a follower of Joseph Smith and Mormonism or you're a follower of Judaism, or you're a follower of Hinduism, or Buddhism, or Christianity, or Jesus, because they're all really just describing the same reality. All different paths to the same place. As long as you're sincere, as long as it, quote, works for you, 
then it's all, it's all equally true. Okay, so Jesus comes along, and let's look at what he says, and, and I want you to look a little deeper in this, because it's one of those kind of proof text verses we often miss the profundity of it. But there on your note sheet in John 14, here's what Jesus says. Um, he says, uh, I am the way, well, the way what? The way to God, right, the way to life. Uh, I am the truth, catch this, not a, a truth, but the truth, the source of all truth. Uh, and I am the life, and catch this, he's not just talking about not going to hell. He's talking about life lived to the full. This is in the Gospel of John we call eternal life, which is not just length of life, it's quality of life. It's life as it's meant to be lived. Jesus says, I am the way. Now, anyway, the way. I am the truth about life. I am uh, the path, right? I'm the way, the truth, I'm the, I'm the life itself. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. These other paths are not leading you the right way. They're, they're leading. And so, so the question is, our culture says all paths lead to God, therefore you don't really need Jesus. They're all saying the same thing. And the question is, what do you believe about salvation? And how does this impact your sharing of Christ with those who don't know him? What, what do you believe? And here's the deeper question, how do you decide what you believe? Now, I've chosen these three because all three of these, I just throw them out there, and instantly you feel the rub in your life, don't you? Instantly you feel the rub. That's why I've chosen them. But here's what I want you to catch. Jesus spoke on all kinds of topics. And so the more subtle ones are often the more profound. I mean, how do you decide what you believe about anger? How do you decide what you believe about forgiveness? How do you decide what you believe about raising children? How do you decide what you believe about money? How do you uh, decide what you believe about your priorities? How do you decide what you believe about forgiveness? You see? Do you go into a mode of you kind of pick and choose from the Bible, and then here's a classic line, well, kind of, yeah, I've kind of worked this out with God. You're, yeah, you're sleeping with your girlfriend. I, I know it's not kind of technically right. I was meeting with a couple recently, and it was a great conversation and great people. They said, well, I know it's not technically right. And I said, no, let's, let's call things by their true name. It's not that it's technically wrong. It's, that it's high-handed, flagrant disobedience. Right, And what I told him is that here's the truth about life. Until we call things by their true name, we can never find the solutions. So if we want the path to life, we have to start by calling things by their true name. And, and so in your life, brothers and sisters, who is your ultimate authority? Is it Jesus? Is it his word? Or is it what you and God have worked out? Or it's kind of, well, that's, here's kind of what makes sense to me. Now, here's the thing. I want you to catch this. This is critical how you answer this question. Because Jesus' teaching always leads to life. 
And so when you make up your own rules, you are willingly choosing death. And that leads to the next question. The next question I have for you then, is how much are you willing to see? This is powerful. Because what we learn today is when it comes to our spiritual life, we see what we're willing to see. Remember what Jesus said in John 7. He says, if you're willing to do his will, you will know the, you will know the teaching. So here's what I need to catch. In the spiritual life, we see what we're willing to see. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus comes through our life, and he is going to have something to say. say, Here's what I want to say to you about your marriage. Here's what I want to say to you about your parenting. Here's what I want to say to you about spending time with me. Here's what I want to say to you about your finances. Here's what I want to say to you about your sexuality. But here's what I want you to catch. We will only see and hear as much as we're willing to see and hear. And if we're not open to seeing, and if we're not open to hearing, like the religious leaders, we will not see, and we will not hear, and we will remain in bondage. And I want to take you to an important passage of Scripture we often talk about here, but it's like, this is one of those ones, if I die tomorrow, it's like in in 2 Peter, the apostle Peter says, hey, I know I'm going home soon, and so there's certain things I want to remind you of, so after I'm God, you don't forget. There are certain passages of the church I'm going to take us back to time and time again. Because long after I'm gone, and I have no plans of dying, but uh, long after I'm gone, uh, I want you to remember. And one of these is in John chapter 8. And it's there on your note sheet. And so Jesus is talking to a group of new believers, people who have come to faith in Christ and are starting to believe, see Jesus as an authority in their life. They're, They're brand new at this. And he says, to the Jews who hadn't believed in them. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, and in the Greek, the the word is meno. It means to remain in, to abide with, to stick to, to follow. He says, so if you hold on to my follow, my teaching, I'm your authority, you hold on to this teaching, you don't let it go. He says, then you're really my disciples. And so Jesus is defining what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower. And he says the way you can tell if someone is a follower is if they follow what I'm saying. So they let go of what I'm saying. They pick and choose. They're not really following. And so he says, if you hold on to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And he says, and then, here's what's going to happen. You will know the what? Truth. And the truth will set you what? So catch the progression Jesus says to these new believers, hey, you've you've come under my authority. You're believing in me. You're believing I'm the Messiah. You're coming under my authority. Now, from this point on, he says, if you continue to hold on to my teaching, you don't pick and choose. You hold on to my teaching. You embrace my teaching. You let me be the authority of your life. When it's easy and when it's not, you hold on to my teaching. He said, then you will know the truth. The lights are going to go on. About what? About your marriage. About what? About your priorities. What? About your finances. What about your path to life? About your joy? Maybe about your parenting. Maybe it's about your dating. 
Maybe it's about your sexuality. Maybe it's about your life calling. Maybe it's about the spiritual gifts, your life purpose. He says, if you hold on, you don't let go. You come under my authority. You truly listen. He said, lights are going to start going on in your life. And you will know the truth. And it won't always be easy truth. It's not easy for that man with an anger problem to admit he has an anger problem, is it? It's not easy for those parents of that wayward child to admit they've got a problem. It's not easy for that man who's a narcissist in his marriage to admit. The truth is not always easy to see. That's why we don't want to see it. He says, but then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. So, men and women, I want to speak into your life for just a minute and say, hey, what is the Lord trying to say to you? Is there anything in your life that you've been sensing at the outskirts of your mind? He's trying to show you that you've been resisting seeing because you don't want to see it. Is there anything, you know, for some of us here, there was something three years ago. He tried to show you. He was speaking in your life and you didn't want to see it. And so you, you didn't see it. You rationalized it, you justified it, you ignored it, you put it off until it went away. And as a result of that, you're paying the price today. As a result of three years ago, for some of you, it's 15 years ago. There's some in your life 15 years ago, God said, hey, no, don't leave that marriage, work on that marriage, and you didn't want to hear that. You said it was too painful, it was too hard, you couldn't do it, whatever. And you didn't want to listen, and so you didn't. And now 15 years later, you're still paying the price for not listening. Some of you, right now, you're, you're living in sexual sin. And it's not technical. It's real. It's high end disobedience. And you're rationalizing, you're saying, well, we're planning to get married, and think she's really the one and you know we're kind of married in our hearts and <laughs> there's something out there where God's talking about your money and you're not listening and you're like well it's not the right time or yeah I can't really afford that or I know how we make the bills or there's something out there in your parenting God's telling you there's something wrong with your seventh grade and you need to figure it out. And you don't want to see it. Because you don't know, you don't know how to solve it. You think it might reflect on you, you'd be a bad parent, and what would people think of you? Or... And you're choosing not to see. And your child's future is hanging in the balance. Men and women, we, we see what we're willing to see. And I want to remind you, Jesus came to set us free. If he's telling you something, there's only one reason and one reason only. It's because he loves you and he's calling you to freedom. And so the question is, what do you see? And then for us as a church, here's a question I have. Boy, I dream of a day where as a church, we are passionate to a person about wanting to hear what God's saying to us.
to, to a person. And we're, we're getting there. As a church, we're growing in this. But I, I dream of a day, the church at Rocky Peak is a church that is willing to do his will. And so that we're discerning it. And because of that, our lives are being transformed. Because of that, our families are being changed. Marriages are being healed. The kingdom's advancing. Our purpose, our joy is ex- exploding. Gospel ministry is going across the globe out of this place. People are coming to Christ because there's something about our lives that are so different. Right? But it all depends on how much are we willing to see. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. It is so profound. God, we are thankful for this teaching, Jesus, that you've given us of that we see what we're willing to see. And we are thankful that you've come to give us life. And so I pray right now, Lord, all over this auditorium, as we are each searching our own hearts and each saying, is there anything you're saying to us? God, I pray, especially for my brothers and sisters right now, who there's an area that they've been not wanting to see. There's an area that's it's scary. It feels dangerous. They don't know how to deal with it. It's going to cause a sacrifice. It's going to require them to surrender. And, and so they're, they're being tempted not to see it. Lord, I pray that you'd expand their faith. Help them to realize your deep love and that eat whenever you speak, Whenever you reveal, it's always to set us free because of your deep love. And so I pray you'd help them to embrace that. And Lord, as we come now in worship, as we bring your offerings, we pray you'd meet us as we come before you and worship you for who you are and ask you to speak. Lord, we think of your word in Psalm 139 where it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's our prayer as we come now in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? Will you stand with me? We're going to be, uh, I hope you can be with us this next week as we kind of launch into this journey that we've been going out as a church uh, in this next season and kicking it off Tuesday night with this 24 hours of prayer. It's been a great time. Just kind of get a little window into what that might be. Uh, so I'll see you Tuesday and then Wednesday night, the encounter. By the way, if you're in a life group, life groups are operating as normal this week. If you're in a Wednesday night life group, just come with your life group here to the encounter. Otherwise, life groups are operating as normal. And so until I see you on Tuesday or Wednesday, may the Lord be with you. May he be your ultimate authority. May you bring every decision, every area of your life under him. May you learn to pray that prayer. God, search me and see if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the path to everlasting life. And may that be the prayer that leads you to life as you surrender to Jesus uh, in every area, his authority. Amen? Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.